Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Everybody good? Hey, we're going to finish our series this morning on the Lord's Prayer, which it's been a delight to uh, sink our teeth into these these weeks. We're going to uh, we're going to finish up this morning with one verse, and um, it's a loaded verse, by the way, as if all of them have not been. But this is a this is a loaded verse. <laughs> And, um, and again, I want to frame it like this. The reason, the reason Jesus gives us this prayer, the reason Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, is because you and I will actually have to pray these things in order to enter into these things. So if you want to be the sort of person, if you want to be the sort of person who has kingdom anticipation, you are going to need to pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done over and over again. If you're going to want to be the kind of person who can live life without anxiety about how you're going to provide for your family or, or, or how you're going to make it in the world, you're going to need to pray, give us this day our daily bread over and over and over again. That's how we begin to form our insides towards being a particular kind of person. And, be, and because Jesus gives us this prayer, this is the kind of person that Jesus would like us to be formed into. Jesus would like us to be formed into people who have kingdom anticipation. He'd like to form us into the people who uh, can live life without anxiety. He'd like to form us into the kind of people who can have wide open, soft and forgiving hearts. And he'd also like to form us into the kind of people who would pray that we would be spared from trials and temptation. And if they come, that we would be able to stand in the midst of difficulty. He wants to form us into those kinds of prayer. Here's what, here's what praying this kind of prayer is this morning. This prayer that we're going to pray this morning, it's spiritual push-ups. That's, that's what prayer is for the most part. And especially the Lord's Prayer. It is spiritual push-ups they are done on our own and they are done without pressure they're done without the pressure of trying circumstances and they're done this way so that when a moment does come and when we need real strength we will have developed it that's what prayer is how many of you understand how many of you understand that if you Go out and you go to the gym and you grab a bar and you put a couple hundred pounds on that bar and you've never lifted weights. Your chances of lifting that bar are pretty much zero. How many of you understand that if you are in a real life situation where you need some strength, unless you've developed the strength, your chances of being able to perform in that moment will be zero. Right? However, if you go on your own, if you go when there is no pressure, if you go when there isn't a need and you begin to give yourself to the task, when some kind of pressure comes, you'll be able to perform. That's why athletes go to the gym. That's why Steph Curry puts up hundreds of shots every single day. Can I tell you something? You don't, you don't shoot the game-winning three in the moment. You've shot it thousands of times beforehand. 
That's what we do. So we pray. And what is prayer? Spiritual push-ups, man. That's what it is. Without pressure. That's what it is. And along with this, I'd also like to point out here, because of today's prayer, today's specific prayer that we're going to be looking at, well, it's this. Let's put the, let's put the scripture up this morning. This has been our text the entire time. Jesus says this. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And may your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. and Forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And then today, this is what we're going to be looking at. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Hey, listen, here's the deal, church. In order for us to become the kind of people who do not yield to temptation, we've got to do this when the temptation is not around. We've got to pray. We've got to pray this prayer when the temptation is not around. It's how we develop the spiritual refluxes, the muscle memory, and the strength to be resisting and yielding and overcoming kind of people. Now, I would also like to point out this. This is the genius of Jesus. Because you and I want to be the sort of people who are not led into temptation. We want to be the sort of people who do not yield to temptation. If we will pray this prayer... And if we will pray it every single day, simply praying the prayer actually, actually begins to deal with temptation. And you might ask, well, Pastor Adam, how does that work? To simply pray the prayer, don't lead us into temptation. Don't let us yield to temptation. To pray that prayer every single day begins to strengthen ourselves against temptation. And here's why. Because it absolutely deals with this one temptation right up front. And it's the temptation to not pray every single day. Have you ever considered that? How many of you know that sometimes it's hard to pray every single day? How many of you know that we can look for all kinds of reasons not to pray every single day? Well, you know, I'm I'm busy. I've got lots of stuff. Uh, busyness is the disease of the modern age. I always laugh when college kids tell me they're busy. I'm like, you have no idea. You are freer now than you will ever be in your entire life. I don't care if you have 10 papers due. Let me tell you, you get yourself a husband, you get yourself a wife, you get yourself a few kids, you get yourself some, some soccer going on, and you get yourself some taxes, and you get yourself a yard, and you get yourself a couple broke down cars, and you call me. That's actually not in my notes. I just diverged. (laughs) But here's the point. To pray this prayer every single day is to begin to overcome the temptation to not pray every single day. Spiritual push-ups. Manifest so many different reasons. We're busy. Or it's the temptation to believe that other things are more important or a better use of our time. But when we pray this prayer, we do a set of internal push-ups. We're actually training for more. Training for more. All right, here's what I want to do with this little prayer, this little invitation from Jesus this morning. I I want to talk a little bit this morning about not yielding to temptation. First thing I want to say about this particular prayer is this. 
in order for us to pray this and to let it do its deepest work in us, the first thing we got to know is this, that this is a prayer that Jesus wants to answer. This is a prayer that our Father in heaven wants to answer, and this is a prayer that the Holy Spirit wants to partner with on us. Not only that, but I, I need you to know right up front, uh, because this will kill you praying every single day if you don't really believe this. God loves to answer prayer. He, he actually prefers to answer prayer. And sometimes, sometimes we think because answers are slow in coming or that they've been a little delayed, we think that God is slow or that he's reluctant. Uh, some of us in the room right now, one of the things we need to confess even to our own selves and we need to confess to God is we need to go ahead and tell him, God, we think you're reluctant. Some of us believe that. The truth is God is not reluctant. He loves to answer prayer. It's why Jesus tells us to pray. I need you to know this. If Jesus tells you to pray, if he tells me to pray, it is because his Father in heaven wants to answer prayer. God is not sadistic. He's not the sort of person who says, I want you to do these things, and the reason I want you to do them is because it's going to torture you. And because I'm mostly not going to answer and I'm mostly going to have to just, I'm going to drag my feet and then you're going to get nervous. And while you get nervous and more anxious, I'm going to take great delight in that. That's not who God is at all. He takes no delight in that. He loves to answer prayer. It's why Jesus tells us to pray. To pray. If Jesus tells us to do so, we can have confidence in his heart to answer. And then this really gets down to our picture of God. This always gets down. This is what prayer does. It forces us to get real about our picture of God. Is he reluctant and hard or is he willing and soft? That is the real question. Well, I know what some of you are thinking in the room right now. You're thinking, well, Adam, if he is not a reluctant God, if he likes to answer prayer, then why is it that a lot of my prayers are really slow in coming? Why is it that so many of the things I've prayed for are on permanent delay? Well, I'd like to say this. There are lots of reasons. Too many for this morning, but I'm going to give you one. And I think it's the biggest one. Why does God delay? Well, before we can enter into that, I need you to think about something else. I need you to think about this. Imagine this. Imagine that God answered every single one of your prayers instantly. Let's do the opposite here for a moment. Imagine that God answered every single one of your prayers instantly. What would happen? Sit with that. What would happen? Here's what I think would happen. I think rapidly. And by rapidly, I mean before this evening. I think God would no longer be God, but God would become our tool. We would no longer become his creatures and his servants, but he would become our servant. That's the problem. If God were to answer... Every single one of our prayers, instantly, God would no longer be God at all. He'd become a tool that works for us. And then, you know what would happen? We would stop loving him. Because here's the thing, nobody loves tools. No one, no, no one. And guys have them, and we're sort of obsessed with them, but we don't really love them. No one has ever written a song, or a poem, or a chapter about a hammer. No one has ever... called their friend and said, let me tell you how much I love my new hammer drill. No one does that because no one loves a tool. And if God answered every one of our prayers, he'd become a tool and we would not love him. Not only that, 
But if God answered all of our prayers instantly, and this is even more serious, all of our foolishness would be multiplied. More money, more fame, more power, more sex with whoever I want without ever dealing with who we really are on the inside. So here's the thing. Does prayer change things? You better believe prayer changes things. But here's what it's mostly supposed to do. Prayer is mostly supposed to change us. That's the point of prayer. I know, I know that a lot of us are stuck in this thing of our prayers are going to change the world. And they might. But if our prayers don't first change us, then we're not really changing the world. We're just multiplying our foolishness, our own inclinations towards sinfulness out into the wider world. Prayer movements that are fixated on changing the world, but not inclined toward seeing the people who actually pray change are misguided. So this is why God delays. Sometimes God delays and sometimes God is slow so that by praying, we come to really know ourselves. And so that by praying, we really come to know Him. But I want to tell you this. God loves to deliver. He loves to deliver. And this room is filled with people who prayed prayers and God delivered on them. God loves to deliver. He does all the time. Not only that, but connected with this verse is this idea. Jesus says that God reigns on the good and the bad. It says he sends his reign on the good and bad. He tells us here, do not let us yield to temptation or another version's Don't lead us into temptation. Can I tell you something right now? God is constantly and almost always not leading people into temptation. He is constantly and almost always giving people strength to not yield to temptation. Uh, Do people face trials? Do bad things happen in the world? Yep. Do bad things happen to people who are in this room? Yep. If we pray uh, that they would be limited, will that change things? You better believe it. I actually believe that if you pray this prayer, there will be a decrease in the amount of trauma that comes in your life. Will it keep all pain and trauma out of your life? No, it will not. However, if you were to take all the pain and all the trauma of your life and put it on one side of the scale, here's what I can tell you. The other side of the scale of goodness and mercy and blessing would always forever outweigh it because God is mostly sending his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's forever kind and good. And you could be the most tortured person in this room. We could put out a big scale and somebody in here would have the, the unlovely task of being the person who is the most tortured. And if you were the most tortured, person in this room, the good news is this, that you have still mostly been highly favored, blessed, and you have been shown the kindness of God. The most tortured person on the planet is still mostly been shown favor. Otherwise you would be dead. You would not have life in your body. Come on. See, and sometimes we can't see it until we begin to pray. Don't let us yield to temptation, uh, but rescue us from the evil one. Until you pray this every day, you will be tempted to believe that God has not rescued you, that he is not rescuing you. You'll be tempted to believe that your life is mostly a long series of unfortunate events. And I'm here to tell you it is not. There are unfortunate events. You better believe it. Can we avoid them all? No, we cannot. But our life is mostly lived beneath the God who sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. And you won't know it until you pray it. God loves to answer prayer. Second thing about this prayer this morning 
is this. It's an admission of our own weakness. The Lord's Prayer begins with the declaration of the holiness and the greatness of God. And the Lord's Prayer ends with three declarations of our own weakness. Give us the food we need. Help us forgive. And don't let us yield to temptation. This is really, really good, church. Especially the American church. Uh, Here's the thing. The American church has so been invaded by the syncretism of self-help and self-esteem psychology that oftentimes the last thing we really want to look at and the last thing we want to admit is that we're people who still need help. Now, can you have good self-esteem and still admit that you need help? Yes. In fact, I would, I, would, I would argue that the one leads to a true version of the other. However, however, oftentimes in the church, we are so unwilling. There's certain branches of the church. There's certain theological systems that are developed right now. And they are so opposed to this that it is insane. Can I tell you something? There is, there is, there is a grace teaching out there right now that says we shouldn't even pray this prayer. There are people in the church right now who believe we should not even pray the Lord's Prayer because Jesus has already done it all. I'm telling you, that is garbage. One of the things that we need desperately in our lives is to come before God and to admit that we are creaturely and that we need His help. And to do so does not diminish the glory of what God has put in us. It actually opens us up so that we can enter into the goodness that He wants to give. Let me just tell you, the foundations of the universe are this. There is a God, and we are not Him. That's why we pray this prayer. It it reinforces His godliness, and it reinforces our creatureliness. Lead us not into temptation. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Unless you pray that, unless you pray that, this subtle form of pride slips in, and we begin to believe that I don't need provision for my daily food. I don't need to be the sort of person who forgives. And I don't need uh, help being strengthened in places of temptation because I'm the center of the universe. I'm God. And suddenly all of my natural proclivities are a-okay. Everything's great. If, I, if, if it feels right to me, then it must be ordained by God. No. No, he's the Lord. He's the Lord. And we are his creatures. We are his creatures. In fact, the original sin of Adam and Eve is all about this very thing that I'm talking about right now. The original sin of Adam and Eve is wanting to be like God while simultaneously not having to deal with him. Isn't that right? The devil comes to Adam and Eve and says, Hey, did God really... Say X, Y, and Z, and they're like, well, you know. And so Eve grabs the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that thing which from the beginning was supposed to be God's alone. Why? Because only God, only God can handle the knowledge of good and evil. See, you need you need omniscient, unlimited perspective in order to handle the knowledge of good and evil. And God puts that off limits from humans because we are neither omniscient nor have unlimited perspective. But Adam and Eve, they grab the fruit and they eat it 
Which is to say, I would like to be like God while simultaneously not dealing with him. This is a really big deal. What is that? It's just, it's just pride. That's all it is. It is pride. That kind of pride comes from blindness. It's the blindness to who God is. That he is good, that he's a provider, and that he's a friend. But it's also the blindness that comes from not knowing who we are. That we are glorious, that we are noble, but at the same time we are creaturely. It's good to stay connected to our creatureliness. You and I are not the masters. And with respect to the prayer that Jesus asks us to pray this morning, one of the things that we need to know in our creatureliness is that some trials really could break us. Like, why does Jesus ask us to pray this? He, he asks us to pray this because it's, God, it's God's good pleasure to protect us. And we need protecting because the truth is, and some of us know this, some trials could break you. Like, the world is a wild place, guys. The world's a wild place. Like, like everybody in here has been through some stuff, but how many of you know that you could have gone through some worse stuff? And depending on what it is, it could break you. How do I know that? Because I'm, I'm a creature. Man, I'm like, like, I've been through some stuff. I came, on the out, I came out the other side. Got some wounds. Got some scars. I've been through the battles. I'm telling you guys, though, there are some things maybe I wouldn't come out of. I don't know. And we, and we, and we like to think, well, you know, I can face anything. Be careful. You should pray. God, strengthen us. Protect us. Spare us. Tell you a quick little story. Happened last, just a couple weeks ago. Many of you in here know that my mom was hit in a car accident and her car was totaled a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. She got hit. Car was completely totaled. I went up to see her in the hospital. She had like the neck brace thing on. And I saw her car just, just, just crushed. She was fine. See, God is reigning his goodness on the righteous and the unrighteous all the time. She could have easily been killed, and she's fine. Don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the devil. Like, listen, this prayer is a big deal. You know, like, here's the thing. We, sometimes we think, well, I've been through some stuff. I can get through anything. I, listen, some trials could break us. It's a good thing to pray these things. Number three, this is where it gets a little more, woo. Put on your seatbelts, okay? We, we got 12 minutes of heavy sledding. Is everybody good with that? Uh, number three, God, God does not tempt people. But he does sometimes lead us into the desert. Put up another scripture, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Just verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, not a Spirit, the Spirit, look, capital S, Holy Spirit. Then Jesus was led by the third person of the Trinity into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow. 
what? Hey, anybody like to just write a paper on that? <laughs> Would anybody like to have a theological discourse on this verse? I want to read you another scripture as well. This is James chapter 1. James says this to the church. By the way, this is half-brother Jesus. He knows what he's talking about. He says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Where does temptation come from? Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, and they drag us away. And then finally, Mark chapter 7. Where does temptation come from? Jesus says, this is a little end of a story from the Lord. He says, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. What is Jesus saying? It's in here. Up to this point, he's saying, it's not what goes into you that makes you defiled. It's what comes out of you. It's on the inside. So the question is this. When we put all of these scriptures together, the question that I have is this. Is there a difference between being led into the desert and tempting? Yes, there's a difference, and it's huge. God will sometimes lead everybody in this room into the desert into the wild places. But God is always leading us into victory. And this is the difference. God is always, always, always leading us into victory. The devil is always, always, always tempting us to lose. Here's what we need to know this morning. We need to know this. The world is a wild place. And when Jesus was led into the wilderness, that wilderness picture... Those are Old Testament echoes. Those are Old Testament echoes of the children of Israel wandering in the desert where they were tested. But it's also an Old Testament echo of something much, much older. And it's an Old Testament echo of the Garden of Eden. And the wilderness that Jesus was led into is the exact opposite of the Garden of Eden. The world is filled with wildernesses even now. But God's heart is that it would return to Eden. And so God will oftentimes lead us into desert. He will lead us into the desert that we might have a victory and begin to amend that desert sandy soil into something more fertile that might become Eden-like. His heart is always Eden-like. See, here's the thing. The desert has to be confronted. The desert has to be confronted. We pray, God, let us be the sort of people who do not yield to temptation. We pray, God, do not let us be overcome by the evil one. And he largely, he largely cooperates and answers that prayer. And he does so that we might become the kind of people who have done enough internal prayer push-ups that we develop the spiritual fortitude that on the day he leads us into the desert, we could amend the soil and return it to Eden. See, God is not allowing difficulty as punishment. Rather, he is leading us into the battle so that we can recover lost territory. 
Every time we go into the wilderness, it is not to be, it is not to be killed and it is not to be uh, destroyed and it is not to be overcome. But God will oftentimes lead you and I into the desert that we might overcome it. Now, here's the good news. The really amazing good news is this, that before Jesus stepped into the desert in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, do you remember the thing that happened right before it? Right before Jesus went into the desert in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, he was baptized into the water, out of the water. When he comes out of the water, what comes on him? Holy Spirit. And then what does the father say? This is my son and I love him. This is my son and you make me happy. What is the next thing that happens? Into the desert with the devil. Uh, Two things, two ways to look at this. Uh, We'll go hard and then we'll go happier. Is that okay? First, hard. Uh, When you get a baptism of the Spirit, when you get a word from the Father, when you get affirmation from heaven, when you get anointed, when you get empowered, you need to know this. Every single thing you get anointed in, everything you get empowered in, everything you get affirmed in by God will be tested in the desert. Here's the good way of saying it. You never, you never, ever, ever go to the desert without resources. God would never send any of his kids into the wilderness without a word. God would never send any of his sons or any of his daughters into the wilderness without the spirit. God would never send anybody out with the devil without giving them something that is greater. The Bible says greater that is in you than is in the world. By the way, this is why church is important. This, this isn't just some little like social party we're having here. No, this is where we come and we, we, we get baptized again. Every single Sunday, we get baptized again in, in the love of God. Every single Sunday. Why? Because he's sending us out into the desert. He wants the whole world to return to Eden. And let me tell you right now, the entire world is going to return to Eden. It is going to happen. And here's the deal. It will be a work of the Spirit. It will be the work of the Father. It will be the work of Jesus. And it will come through our hands. It will be bread multiplied. It is, the world is yet, even still, broken bread from the hands of Jesus into the hands of the disciples. Where does the miracle happen? When the disciples start handing it out. The world is going to return to Eden. It will be a work of the Trinity through the church, through the children of God. But we've got to pray, lead us not into temptation. See, the wild places in the world have to be faced and they have to be overcome. This means confrontation. Some of us are intimidated by every single confrontation. Here's the deal. You're only intimidated by the confrontations you don't have a baptism and an anointing for. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes disciples bold. Peter ran away until he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he stood up and preached to the very people who crucified Jesus. And he said, he was God's son and you killed him. And then everyone who was there was stricken in the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And they got baptized that very day. This is what the Spirit is for. The Spirit is for boldness that we might be confronters. Not angry confronters, but confident confronters with the goodness of God. Into the wilderness, into the wild, into the desert places that have yet become the Eden of the Lord. Can you hear me? Come on. This is, this is the whole thing. This is, this is why we pray. 
This is why we pray. These are not, these are not domesticated, stained glass verses. These, this, is, this is everything that is alive and fresh in God's heart. This is everything that is near and dear to Him in the Son of God. This is why Jesus was resurrected. Jesus was not resurrected that you and I might go to heaven and, and one day and sort of just check out. Jesus was resurrected that the Eden of God would be planted in the earth and that the cosmos would return to beauty and order and that the lion would lay down with the lamb and that the kid would pick up the cobra, that, that goodness and mercy would be everywhere. This is why he was raised up. And so we pray, God, give us the strength to not yield to temptation and deliver us from the evil one. It is good. I know it's good. I'm telling you right now. I'm going to put up a little something from the late and the great Dallas Willard. When trials are permitted, it only means that God has something better in mind for us than freedom from trials. I'm just going to leave that there for a moment. Disciples of Jesus, especially disciples who are going through hard things right now, Is it even possible that God has something better for you? Is it possible that the trial you're going through is actually a doorway into the kindness and the betterness and the goodness of God? Listen, church, you guys know me. Man, I love the Lord. And I love the Holy Spirit. I love all the Holy Spirit stuff that He does. I love people getting filled with the Spirit. I love speaking in tongues. That makes people nervous. I don't even care. <laughs> I love I love gifts of healing. I love prophetic words. I love words of wisdom. I love dreams and interpretations. I love I love all this stuff. But can I tell you something? The charismatic church mostly gets mostly gets what it means to be highly favored and blessed by the Lord completely wrong. Is it possible that our trials mean that God has something better in mind for us than freedom from trials? I would also like you to notice, we're not going to read it this morning. Don't have time, but I would like you to notice that the temptation of Jesus in the desert with the devil, it occurred in the wilderness alone. See, the real wild territory is almost always internal, and there's something about solitude and prayer that surface it. This is why you and I need solitude. And we need prayer. Some of us operate under the auspices that the bad stuff is out there. No, can I tell you where the bad stuff is? It's right here. The world we live in is a manifestation of this. Like, like some of us are getting like so uptight about who becomes president next. Can I tell you something? Listen, who becomes president next is largely inconsequential until we get in here and fix this. 
Furthermore, who becomes president next doesn't keep me or disallow me from becoming a better person who's more obedient to Jesus. And the reason we have the candidates right now that we have is because we have issues. The reason the world is in the shape that it's in right now is because we have not gone into the wilderness of our own heart and, and drawn from the hidden streams that come from Jesus. That's why. Some of, us are, some of us are, you know, we live under the idea that all the bad stuff out there, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, you're going to hell in a handbasket. It's in your heart. It's in my heart. Like if it's out there, it's only out there because it's in here. Hello, come on. This is why we go into the wild places. This is why we allow God to sit with us in silence. This is why we have to become people who pray. This is why we have to become people who are, who are comfortable with the quiet. And this is why we have to become self-reflected, somewhat self-aware, meditative, contemplative people. Because the wild stuff is in here. Right here. See, when we pray alone in our closets, we do so that we might be free from our own wilderness, free from our own devil in the desert. Number five, lastly, I want you to remember that story of Jesus being tempted in the desert by the devil. And I want you to remember again what the devil puts on offer to Jesus. Three different things, right? Bread for food, safety for the spectacular, kingdom for worship. Bread for food, safety for the spectacular, kingdoms for worship. And by the way, the devil's offer to Jesus comes wrapped in religion and Bible verses. See, the real devil's always in the church. Always. If you don't believe me, read the Gospel of Mark. Every single demon that Jesus meets in the Gospel of Mark is in the synagogue. See, we think he's out there. No, dude, he's right here. And here's the thing. After the devil can no longer tempt you with drinking too much, sleeping with the wrong people, Listening to rock and roll. (laughs) After the devil can no longer tempt you with cheating on your taxes, then he'll always come to you as an angel of light with Bible verses. This should cause us to shudder. But there's a common denominator between the things that the devil offers Jesus. There is a thread of commonality between all of them. And if there's anything that speaks to the American condition, it is these temptations. Well, you might be asking, what is the thread of commonality between all three of these temptations? Here's what it is, church. It is the temptation to be spectacular without suffering. Bread when you're hungry. 
safety for the spectacular. Go ahead and throw yourself off the temple. The angels of God will catch you. Kingdoms for worship. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you see, Jesus. The devil was tempting Jesus to be spectacular without suffering, to be filled, to be spectacular, and to be king all without pain and suffering. This is the Christian trial. This is the Christian temptation. The one that sits beneath almost every other temptation is this. This right here. Why? Why? Why would the devil do that to Jesus? Here's what the devil was doing. The devil was tempting Jesus to be the God of unsuffering. Because if he could tempt Jesus to be the God of unsuffering, then that Jesus would never go to the cross. If he could tempt a hungry Jesus to make bread out of stones and avoid the suffering of hunger, if he could tempt Jesus to throw himself off of a building and have angels catch him and avoid the pain of being crushed by falling from the top of a tower, and if he could tempt Jesus to bow down and worship him so that he might obtain kingdoms that, number one, were already his, the Father's good pleasure to give, Psalm chapter 2. If he could tempt Jesus to do that, then he would be the God of unsuffering and that God would never, ever go to the cross. See, here's the thing, church. We pray to avoid trials. We don't pray for trials. That's stupid. We pray to avoid trials. We should pray to be delivered. God wants to answer that prayer. But here's the thing. While we're praying that prayer, we are praying that God would begin to work in us something more so that when the wilderness does arrive, we might overcome it. We might turn the desert into verdant fields. We pray for protection and we do so that we may grow and develop and clean the inside of a cup for the day of our own trial that when it comes that we could be an overcomer so that we could enter the desert, so that we could enter the wilderness and we could return it to an Eden of green and beauty. But here's the temptation. Jesus' temptation will be just like ours. It will be the temptation to return the deserts to Eden without any suffering and without any hardship. It will be the temptation for self-preservation. And in America, it is the temptation to be spectacular without any pain. Every time. Every single time. Jesus says... Jesus says this about himself. He says, if you want to be great, you got to serve. Serving's hard. It can be painful. People overlook you. You don't win an Emmy or a Grammy for serving. You don't get a plaque for that. You don't... Difficult. And oftentimes, the desert that Jesus is calling us to serve is like really difficult people who are ungrateful and filled with all kinds of crud and it's just really hard. Oh yeah, man. But that's how we return it to the verdant green garden of Eden. 
The garden of God will not come about by you and I using force, control, coercion, or manipulation. It, it will not come by us making people be good. It will not come by us making people do the right things. It will not come by us legislating things the right way. It will not come by us getting things changed in Washington. It will not come by us getting more tanks and guns. It will not come by us getting a better systems for extraction. It will not come by any of that. It will come by us entering into the wilderness and not yielding to the devil's temptation to be spectacular without the pain and suffering that it may actually cost to be a servant of the world. There's also some theology out there right now that goes kind of like this. Well, Jesus did all of that, so we don't have to. We just believe it, so Jesus Jesus did it, and we don't have to do it. No, let me tell you right now, Jesus is forever, forever, forever the cosmic the cosmic risen son of God who has raised up the whole entire world, the, the entire universe. He, but he is also always and forever the model and the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I'm the way first. The way of God is to enter in. It is to, it is to, it is to go into the desert. It is, to, it is to never take the devil's offer for the easy way out. The devil is always offering the easy way out. And in the charismatic church, we're always baptizing this stuff in God's name. We always want to say that the easy way is what God has for us. Maybe not. The kingdom came by Jesus dying on the cross. I, you know, I, this is just something that's been in my heart for a while. The kingdom came by Jesus dying on the cross. The gospel of John says that the glory of Jesus is a dead one on a cross. I, you know, I don't understand this, but this is the way it comes. It is not always getting off the hook easy. It is sometimes doing the most difficult thing because we have served the master. Jesus says that the slaves will be like the master. And if the master suffered, if the master did the hard thing, if he had developed something in his life where he could do that, then we will too. And if the world is not reformed to the garden, and yet it is because we have tried to avoid and we have taken every one of the devil's tricks every single time. We have wanted stones for bread. We have wanted, we have wanted spectacular jumps with angels underneath. And we have, wanted, we have wanted every single thing that he offers. And we have yet to follow Jesus in this, this essential Christian thing. And I think this is something God is holding up. Mother Teresa is great and she'll be forever remembered and she's a saint not because she kicked butt and took names. <laughs> In fact, history is mostly going to forget the people who kicked butt and took names. I want to read you one scripture this morning. It'll be something of our benediction this morning. This is out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 32, verse 15. Until at last the Spirit is poured out on us from heaven, then the wilderness will become a fertile field, and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. Justice will rule in the wilderness and righteousness in the fertile field, and this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will, be, will bring quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in safety, quietly at home. They will be at rest. And even if the forest should be destroyed and the city torn down, the Lord will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. Their cattle and donkeys will graze freely. This is the vision of the Lord. Amen? That's why we pray.
This is why we pray. We just pray and keep on praying. If you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? Let's just torture kids' church workers for a few more minutes. Let's just, <laughs> let's just wait on the Lord. We'll, just, we'll drag our feet here a little bit. Oh, man. Man, I feel the Lord, don't y'all? It's funny how I start talking about heavy stuff, but I feel the Lord. I feel the light load of Jesus. Hey, you know what? If you don't have to win, it's just a lot lighter. If God is committed to raising up all the defeated, it's a heck of a lot lighter life, you know? Mm, Let's just wait on the Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to the vineyard this morning. Would you just come and be among us right now? God, we ask that you would continue to make us a people of prayer. God, we ask that you would continue to mold and shape our hearts to be like the Son of God. We ask that you would continue to lead us into goodness. And God, as a church this morning, we pray, let us not yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In the name of Jesus, who is our source, who is our strength, who is our example. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.